Hello, I'm Richard Edgar, and welcome to our September CIO update. It's the start of term, and to kick us off, I spoke to Fidelity International's Chief Investment Officer, Andrew McCaffrey, earlier today, to hear from him how sentiment has changed over the summer, what the implications of the Fed's latest announcements are for investors, and what exactly we mean when we talk about resilience. Hello, Andrew. Hello, Richard. It's September. Lots of kids are going back to school. It feels very much like we're all heading back to school. Um, We last spoke for this podcast in early July when you were citing some of those areas of the market that had performed well in the pandemic. Gold, investment grade bonds, treasury inflation protected securities or tips. Thanks to central bank intervention and general investor concerns about the economy. Let's hear a short clip of what you said back then as you looked ahead to the third quarter. The risk is that when we look at markets more broadly, that we have a few more um, uh, elements that will balance out the sort of uh, you know, impressive tailwinds of authorities, uh, liquidity and fiscal support, and also the data that's recovered. But we're going to then see, I think, you know, politics, the ongoing stimulus that's required, how you get out of stimulus into and will balance the economy, and actually how much follow through is there to the economic bounce versus that being quite technical in nature. Andrew, that was you talking almost two months ago now. Um, So how have things developed in that time? Because, of course, we had August uh, in the middle of it, so lots of people were away on holiday. Um, But how has sentiments changed in that time? Um, How have things developed? So uh, it's a very good point, um, Richard, of uh, how uh, we've seen some of the underlying um, circumstance uh, developed, but also you know how markets have performed, which has been uh, continuing to be very good performance. I think you know, one has to be also um, clear that it's very much led from what we've seen in the US. I mean, August, um, you know, one of the reasons getting slightly cautious was the seasonal uh, impacts, the fact that we were seeing uh, the balance sheet sort of support from uh, you know central banks just starting to, to tail off a little, and you've seen actually in the US that. That amount of you know, significant follow through in terms of balance sheet support actually has tailed off. But you know, markets against um, you know, some of those influences have continued to pile ahead. We've seen um, obviously incredible performance from uh, the tech sector and from those leading um, uh, stocks in the, the US. Uh, you know, against expectations, seeing the best performance in an August in the US since 1984. So um, you know, it really was uh, uh, you know, a stunning um, period. But I think that what is interesting is underneath the surface is that, uh, you know, we spoke about as well at that time, expectations were very high. Well, interestingly, when you look at the surprise indices, they have actually started to roll over since July and actually um, heading down a little bit. So um, expectations on economic data have actually got quite ahead of themselves at this this stage. And so we're seeing that the sort of positive surprises just starting to um, to roll over. We think that the economy will need highly accommodative monetary policy and the use of our tools for an extended period. And we're absolutely committed to staying in this until until we're very confident that that is no longer needed. Well, that was the Federal Reserve Chairman, Jerome Powell, speaking at the end of July. And just last week, we had the Fed's annual Jackson Hole uh, meeting, virtual this time, where the commitment to a prolonged program of interventionist policy uh, was made even more explicit. Now, Andrew, you predicted something along those lines um, back in July. Um, What will the impact be of this 
continued stimulus? And and what does it mean for investors, of course? Well, I think that um, you know it gives great confidence to the perception that um, there will be significant monetary uh, uh, stimulus maintained, you know, i.e. low rates, but also the ongoing um, support from the balance sheet. As I said, I think this is uh, you know, something that maybe was interesting as well in there, is that it felt very dovish in terms of that um, time span around what they will look for inflation um, levels as well, i.e. that you know, almost the case they have to make up what's being lost in missing their target. Uh, and so that will allow them to be staying accommodative, even if they go above target for some time, an implication of that. But they did pull away from still negative rates, from yield curve control. And, and I think one of the interesting things uh, with this is that you have the sort of balance of being clearly sort of lower for longer, being bedded into markets, being now you know, very much laid out by uh, uh, Jerome Powell. But also there's going to be the degree to which are they now more reactive as well to events as they play out. Um, whereas we saw this sort of incredibly proactive, highly stimulative um, uh, you know, reaction in March through to um, uh, the early summer. That's, as I said, the balance sheet, they haven't been quite so active. Obviously, they can be, but it's whether they react to how uh, events play out and whether actually you see the, the real sort of stimulus coming through and sort of additional accommodation is only going to happen if, funnily enough, we have some setback in economic data and in the markets rather than actually to do prolonged process of being you know, highly stimulative. And I think this is where, again, we then focus on to where will fiscal policy take us. And that's where the really big part around the whole inflation conversation comes uh, in as well, because you know, will we see monetary policy being a support to this heightened fiscal policy uh, framework and that being very stimulative into you know, directly to individuals and into economic activity. And we finally see that flowing through into goods prices rather than just, if I'm honest, just purely into financial market prices. Because we're in a rather unreal situation at the moment, or certainly that's how it feels like to me, um, Andrew, because there's been all the uh, the stimulus, um, as you have described, that's gone into the system, but that's affecting um, assets. But it's not, as far as I can tell anyway, translating into um, real inflation in, in, in real goods, uh, unless you're spotting something I haven't? Um, so actually, the reality is, uh, you know, when you look at um, some of the data coming out, it isn't visibly coming through. We've seen signs of coming off the low end, but it's still a long way from either central bank targets. I mean, you, you saw the EU data, which actually implied deflation. Um, so there's still a long way to go to getting into what would be a prolonged inflationary environment. But I think you know, one of the things to look for is not going to be getting to higher numbers. It's going to be the rate of change from these uh, you know, more disinflationary environments to, to seeing some uptick and how the markets respond to that. And I think this is where we come back into how does both the, uh, the bond market respond and that very much in the yield curve through longer dated yields. Do they show signs of um, you know, picking up because they picked up very slightly? rallied back again and yields coming off last week that you know do we see as we go into the FOMC or what the FOMC say this month that that gives a little bit more of an uh, you know an uptick because there is that sense of inflation will be coming from their policy um, uh, stance and how the bond market responds but also if I'm honest one of the things that in the background has been very stimulative is that uh, with all these dollars um, uh, you know out there with the market perception of what that will mean is the US dollar as seen a prolonged period of um, decline. I think that's something to watch closely because if that shows signs, as I've said about the balance sheet and that flow of uh, dollar support actually has been easing off, 
if the dollar starts to pick up, that will start to put a little bit of um, uh, you know concern across some of this sort of you know financial market momentum um, that we've seen. So I, I think that you know um, wrong to have been. Uh, you know, a little too cautious in some ways with how well we saw markets follow through into to August. But I don't think that one should all of a sudden um, lose sight that the internal dynamics in the stock market, the concentration, the uh, advanced decline um, profile and ratios have been you know, not supporting these ongoing uh, new highs. But more importantly, looking to dollar yields and to the dollar of how they respond around what the FMC does. And if they're more reactive, I think you could see the market start to take back a little bit of um, this exuberance. So pretty precarious is um, how I would interpret what you're saying, that there are so many variables, so many things that aren't really behaving the way that one um, might expect them to because of this unusual stimulus and all that supportive um, talk from Mr. Powell, that we shouldn't get that relaxed yet? Well, I, I don't think that we should. I mean, I, I think that, you know, one can't lose sight that we've had uh, you know, an incredible period where we've had the shortest bear market um, in history, I would argue, because we've gone back to new highs in um, uh, you know, the S&P and obviously NASDAQ um, has roared ahead. Um, but that doesn't mean that um, you know, markets can't all of a sudden, having made those new highs, uh, then have some of these tailwinds turn into being more questionable um, uh, influences. And are they just neutral and the, just the markets lose some of that momentum or are they becoming headwinds and we see a, you know, a little bit more of a challenge and therefore some correction? My, my bias sort of as we go into September is a lot will rest around how the FOMC talk and position post um, during Powell's speech at Jackson Hole. Um, and also, if I look around the world, that uh, you know, China is continuing to take a very active stance to reform within the domestic economy, to really build resilience into their economy and focus into how they build domestic consumption, domestic resilience of supply chains. And interestingly enough, the PBOC, if anything, has been on a slightly tighter trajectory. And I think that you, know, um, you could see capital flowing that way, which... Uh, you know, again, against sort of the dollar argument is um, this, I think, is is less about an exchange rate position, but actually about the flow of long term capital, as you see yields in China being remarkably attractive. Can I pick you up there on resilience? Because um, it's a word that has cropped up a lot in recent months. Companies need to be able to prove that they can weather um, a pandemic. But what are Fidelity's analysts actually looking for when they talk to company management um, and ask these questions around resilience? So I think there's, there's several aspects to, to this, Richard. You know, one, one is a starting point is looking at the strength and sustainability of the balance sheet um, and you know, access to capital, the, the longevity of that um, capital. But then looking to the business itself is you know, how much um, you know, can we be confident around their supply chains and their ability to maintain um, uh, you know, their business under different conditions, of, under different challenges. And I think that's where you know, balance sheet strength, access to capital as well as liquidity um, and having that uh, uh, you know, supply chain um, access and uh, to a degree, as you're seeing with many larger companies, you know, more control over that um, uh, you're developing. But there's also a part that comes back into the sort of the sustainability. You know, is it an element where you should be looking, you know, thoughts around how much they tap into the sort of circular economy? You're making sure that actually it's resilient because it taps into 
not just local supply chains and, and aspects, but actually demand profile that can tap into that it can um, you know be able to pivot as well across different parts of its uh, you know distribution or demand um, uh, needs that could be local regional or global um, and how well it's um, positioned to to be able to do that how uh, much can it have the ability to access capital and support for being able to go through what are longer term uh, you know needs in terms of um, positioning for the company to match what they see as over time would be you know really strong ultimate profitability that can be generated for for a business but needs to have that long-term capital at attractive um, levels. And I think that's where resilience and sustainability become very important because, again, within this, you know, more and more there will be focus on to not just elements of governance, which are important, environmental issues and climate, especially, but also, as we've seen more recently, the social aspects and your engagement if in many ways around your communities of where you operate and how you interact. And I think these all play back into elements of real resilience for, for companies to be able to navigate you know, what will still be um, you know, most probably uh, a challenging and adapting environment because of um, how we come out of the, uh, the ongoing COVID influence as well as the post-COVID influence. So it sounds like companies are having to operate in a much more thoughtful way and that gives uh, Fidelity's analysts another angle to be picking up with company managements when they talk to them as well. Andrew, thank you very much indeed because that brings us to the end of this podcast. For you listening, if you've enjoyed what you've heard, please do subscribe and rate us on your podcast app. You might also be interested in our sister podcast fidelity answers so just search for fidelity answers wherever you get your podcasts you can also read all the latest fidelity thinking at fidelityinternational.com the producer today was seb morton clark with production support from alex wilcox from all of us at fidelity international goodbye This podcast is for investment professionals only and should not be relied on by private investors. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is intended only for the person or entities to which it is sent. It must not be reproduced or circulated to any other party without prior permission of fidelity. The value of investments can go down as well as up, so you may get back less than you invest. For other important legal notices, please see our website, professionals.fidelity.co.uk forward slash about hyphen fidelity.